Do you work in employment services? The Wayfinders is a podcast where we help you help people. Hosted by Bounce Australia founder, Maria Smith. Each month, we chat with people who have had their own wayfinding experience and get their valuable employment insights, advice, and tips. Welcome to the Wayfinders podcast. Potential lives here. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Wayfinders podcast. I'm Maria Smith, and today I've got uh, a pretty incredible leader to be speaking to, actually. Renee Lowry, who's the Executive General Manager of Employment and Training for Matchworks, is joining us today. And we're going to really talk about a couple of different things, just in terms of the whole idea of professional growth, leadership, and the different things you can do in that leadership role. But also for some of the Wayfinders listening, it's also some of the strategies and techniques that you can bring into your job, to the things you're doing that really make the difference as well. So, Renee, welcome to today's podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. Yes, it's very exciting. I, uh, I suppose what would be really interesting is a little bit of your history and your background because um, I know that you've done some pretty amazing things. Um, professionally and personally, but just a little bit of your employment services journey and how you are where you are now. Sure, no worries. I uh, I like to uh, think that I won the lottery of jobs to end up where I am now. And uh, I think working uh, for Genu in, in Matchworks has been the most incredible kind of part of, of the journey so far for me. I started in the employment service industry right back at the start of Job Network, accidentally, really. Um, I just finished studying to become a teacher, only to realise at the end of my practical placements that I didn't really like children. (laughs) And I was kind of really struck. It felt like that was something they should have checked with me when I I enrolled or something maybe I should have figured out before I enrolled (laughs) in teaching. But... um, but it was it was a bit of a, a sliding door moment for me when I realised, actually, what do you do when you don't know what you want to do anymore? And everything about my life, um, particularly right through university and, and the last few years of high school, had been that journey taking me there. And then all of a sudden, I'd hit this crossroads and needed to figure out where to go next. And I just didn't know what to do. And I accidentally stumbled into a brand new job network office and said, I, I need a job. And mm. they said, well, we've got 20 hours of admin here a week. And I said, great, well, I can type like the wind. So uh, that's kind of how I ended up falling into an industry that I think I had always really wanted to be in. And um and because I'd done so many kind of random jobs uh, throughout my kind of adolescence, once I got there, I found uh, this real passion for the thing that people do more than sleep. And it's the only thing people do. Um, sleep first, obviously, if you're a good sleeper. But uh, if you want to spend 40 hours a week in a job, you'd really want to be hoping that it adds value to your life and doesn't detract value. And I found people um, over the last 20 years who have uh, lots who don't have that so first of all they're unemployed and they have uh, a huge gap in what adds value to their life and then a whole lot of people who really needed help navigating to get into the kind of role that would add value so it's um it's been a, a bit of an organic transition and lots of lots of challenges along the way where I've worked in you know rural New South Wales um, up into harvest labour areas in Mildura, down to Melbourne, 
over to London where I spent six years working at the height of the global financial crisis uh, in um, some pretty deprived areas in London, um, back to Australia uh, just as the going started to get uh, good after the, the halcyon years of JSA um, into, into the best job in the world with Matchworks. Wow, what a journey. And I think what is so interesting is that what got you into it you know, is that idea of the teaching piece, the education piece, there's something about that that's about the guidance or helping people what we call find their way. And you've been able to sort of take that that interest or that strength and, and apply it into a really powerful way of actually helping people into employment. Yeah, I, make is, a, I do yeah. make a bit of a joke sometimes that uh, that was a waste of four years of my life and, and tens of thousands of dollars. But it, it was just not. And the price of higher education is, you know, it's a lot, but it's actually really valuable. And I learned not only this kind of discipline of getting through a degree, but also uh, the value that that education and, and learning how to be an educator is actually, it crosses over a lot of, a lot of boundaries for people and mm. really opens up people's opportunity to have the best possible life they can and not mm. just not just kind of exist every day mm. well and that's the piece around that journey isn't it where you can you know finding meaningful work and all the research points to the more meaning and purpose the work has we're more likely to stick with it and 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 find fulfillment in that but it's also knowing that there's that on the way job and sometimes we've got a you know, do 20 hours a week of admin, um, which probably was brilliant grounding for you to understand the nuts and bolts of what you've got to do in the industry as well. Uh, I mean, when I first started, so yeah, I was doing 20 hours of admin. At the same time, I was running an Aboriginal tutorial scheme and uh, cleaning people's houses for a living wow. and, um, and, and learning about the kind of seeing the people coming into the office, you know, on their journey. And then my next job after administration was into job search training, which was an amazing grounding for this industry, you know, to really get to understand intensely with people the value of social participation. And that single biggest factor that affects our job seekers every day is the lack of of social cohesion that they might have or social mobility. Mm. And, uh, And then... I see that every day in our sites. People come to work and they're part of a community in our work as well. So how we build that community, and I can't, I can't remember many years ago somebody once asked the question, does your organisation create a community or exclude a community? So every day now I take all of those learnings over the years to create um, as much of a sense of community as I can within our organisation and for our job seekers that come in and engage with our services. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's brilliant. And I think it shows up in what you're doing as well in the industry as an employer and and a lot of the consultants, uh, you know, finding that piece of actually making a difference, that engagement into the, into not only into them as an organisation, but into the community as well. And and that's just amazing. So I wanted to talk about what are some of the greatest challenges you face as a leader? Um, That's a... it's a big question. It is. <laughs> I, you know what? I think some of the hardest, some of the hardest challenges are when you have to make the hardest decisions um, mm. in this business. We are a contracting organisation that 
um, is very reliant on on government funding and what happens when you don't win that government funding. Um, the difficult thing is is what happens when things come to an end in this business, mm-hmm. and how do you um, keep keep you know great staff on board and 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 contracts going is is a really challenging piece in ever tightening margins. So it's not a lucrative industry. Not many people are retiring on what they're making out of employment services. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's that's the the challenge. How I keep my staff safe every day um, mm-hmm. is absolutely is absolutely a key challenge and not all of our job seekers love the fact that they they have to engage in our services and some of them are on really difficult journeys themselves and our staff are often confronted with uh, violent situations unfortunately Mm. but equally from a safety perspective I've got a lot of people on the road all the time and uh, and it is one of the most dangerous things that people can engage in is driving every day, particularly on some of our roads. But um, but how we keep people safe um, from a physical perspective, how we keep people safe mentally is always one of our biggest challenges. Um, and for me, how I make sure I continually lead from, you know, from beside my people and make sure that I'm constantly listening to what they have to tell me and how our decisions um, from an executive perspective, affect their ability to do their job every day. I find that both exciting and challenging, all in the all in the same breath. That we that I do just need to keep challenging myself to stay in touch with how our services are operating at the front line and the experiences that our customers are having and our staff are having every day is is probably they're probably some of my biggest challenges. Mm. So, Renee, with that, um, how many staff do you have? Oh, we have about about eleven hundred around the country. Mm. So that's a massive, and and also having them remote as well from where you're based uh, in Geelong, being able to actually have that access point and communication. And what are some of the strategies you have right now in order to feel like you've got a finger on the pulse? Uh, I spend a lot of time travelling. Um, I think some people think there's a fair bit of glory in that, but there's very little glory in travel for work, I have mm-hmm. to say. But um, yes. but that's mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's part and parcel with the gig. We are a national organisation. We're everywhere except for the Northern Territory and Tasmania. So that means you know from from as far north as Cairns right down to um, Rockingham in in South Australia in Western Australia. It's tricky to be across 160 sites and know what's happening in any any giving mo- given moment. Um, I'm really fortunate to have an amazing team of managers across the business who um, we have. We don't just say we have an open door policy. We live it. We we open the door and invite people in um, to tell us exactly what's happening in their regions, in their sites. We go out and we hold job seeker forums and every one of our our leadership team are constantly trying to engage with the staff at, at the front line to make sure that we're meeting the business's needs and giving them all the tools uh, for success in this business. And then we use technology really better than we've ever used it, I think. I spend a fairly hefty portion of my week on video conferences with people because if I can't mm-hmm. be there in person, there's a huge value to actually being able to eyeball them. Phones are great, but actually being able to look at somebody uh, is is really, really valuable. And then mm. if I do get a chance to be out 
I try to eat with people as often as possible. I think that's something mm-hmm. that every one of us doesn't have a choice in life to do is to eat. So if we can do it together in a communal kind of way, it gives us a chance to all be human together at the same together. time. Mm, and I think great. I think sometimes people think, oh, you know, she I don't want to bother her with the problem that I've got. That tends to be what I get from people when things go really pear-shaped. Why didn't you tell me this? And and they say, I didn't want to bother you. It's not that you pay my wages. You've got to bother me with this because if you don't mm. bother me with it, I can't fix it. So um, mm. they haven't invested invented a crystal ball as far as I'm aware. As soon no, as I can get yet. one though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, put me down for one of those too. Just one. Um, yeah. So what about, what are some of the things that you look back and think the highlights, the successes that you've experienced over time? You know, what, what are some things that really stand out for you? I've, I think there are so many ways that we as an organisation have changed people's lives and, uh, and the people in the kind of Matchworks family and every family that I've, I've been fortunate to be a part of over the years is just getting to hear the life experiences and how people's lives have been so positively impacted, um, even, even when it's been tough and people have come through that to really shine we see it, we have awards every year and I, I've just been looking at our finalists for the awards. We're doing a screening of all of the applicants and hearing these stories of people who have really complex lives and our frontline staff are helping them to navigate the complexity of their lives and come out better off as a result of it. Um, I've had job seekers come up and say, I'm not dead because of something you did. Mm. And we don't expect to be saving lives in this business, but we're definitely in the changing lives business and mm. we constantly I love to hear the stories of people who who we've taken on that journey for them. And every year it's about 30,000. And I think about 30,000 people who get jobs every year who have come through our services and I think that's just a phenomenal amount of people mm. who not just have come into our services but have been better off because of it. And I go, mm. imagine all those 30,000 people in one place at one time and go, mm. goodness, that's, uh, that's quite incredible. So it's really, it, it's really hard to see, you know, that we, that we are not making such an amazing difference. So, mm. so every day we just get these stories through of lives change. And same with our staff. Some of the leaders that we've had come up through our business who are, are so um, – amazing at changing people's lives and doing it at great scale and having great impact and our health and well-being services now that we run around the country and the work that some some fabulous psychologists that we have in the business are doing to connect people who are in a bad situation mentally and then um and then through to fabulous employment outcomes when they never could mm. see that for themselves those stories of, of people's lives changed they make well, such a difference. Yeah, they do. And that's the stuff that's really important because I think in amongst the, the 30,000 lives that are changed is everything that it takes to get there. You know, it's the compliance model, the star ratings, the, the phone calls, the appointments, the missed appointments, the challenges. And, and it's just such a, a massive role, for, especially for frontline, frontline staff where they've got to you know, not only manage their caseload, but beyond managing it, they've actually got to engage, connect and, and facilitate life-changing moments. And I love that you've, you've given it this little visual where I can see the 30,000 people together celebrating. And I think sometimes that gets missed 
in the day-to-day piece, but there is that deeper why to why a lot of people and a lot of our wayfinders listening, that's what gets them up every morning. Yes. We could fill the MCG with the amount of people whose lives we changed just since Mm. the start of Job Active. Yeah. And it's an interesting thought because I know like with the media, oftentimes the media and part of, you know, in media it is about what, what bleeds leads is, a, is something someone from one of the stations said to me once. And so you realise that a lot of times what gets put into the media is going to be that dramatic or tough story or what someone didn't do right or how things failed. And that's all there, that's for sure. But then what we don't share enough of is how many incredibly powerful good news stories there are. Oh, and you've never yeah. heard a good word written about the job active contract in the media yeah. ever. And you're right, mm. you don't, people stop because what bleeds probably does lead. But mm. I, I just find it staggering that it wouldn't be such great news for people, for taxpayers to know the lives that have been impacted by by what we've done in this business. Mm. And it just, you know, I, I think we have a really amazing story to tell in Matchworks because of where our profits go as well. So I, I got to stand at, at the front of a house that we opened not, not so long ago where we took the money that we made out of these contracts and we, and we build houses for people with disability. So mm. if you are an ageing parent and you know that your child, who you have been the primary carer for their whole life, is going to be alone when you die, what do you how do you help prepare for that person to have all of the support? And that's what we do with our profits. So not only do we do, you know, I think we've got front line, uh, front page headlines saying, look at all the lives we've changed. And then the double win for society is that we get mm. to do this amazing work for for people who would have nowhere else to go when their parents pass. And those mm. parents who get to die with that sense of dignity and trust in us as an organisation to be able to do for them what no one else could do in the community. And I I just think that there is so much good news in this and I can't believe that people for a second wouldn't rather read about something good for once than something bad. Yeah, look, and I think, Renee, there's so many great things and I've had the pleasure of working with, you know, quite a few of your different teams at different levels and there is such a passion and commitment and that's probably something that maybe gets lost in the translation of, you know, signing up to do this yeah. is a deeper desire to want to make a difference. And you, you can, I actually, looking at, because, you know, I've worked across the industry and across providers and there is that one strong piece where people are saying, this is, I do this because I want to make a difference. And people don't get into this to say, you know, oh, I want to make your life difficult. It's actually about how can I help? How can I serve? And I, I think that's the story that does need to be told. And a lot of the the driver for us around the Wayfinder network was simply to get the good news stories out there, talk about what works really well so that we can shine a light on the incredible stories exactly like what you're saying. And, and I know you could share with me uh, over an hour worth of stories of the things that Matchworks, uh, you, that you're doing out there, which is is what is so important to that. And um, I think I just so appreciate that that that's the focus you have and that you get where the profits need to come back to and what it does do. And it's a hard Mm. gig working at the front line of our business. And I've seen a lot of people over the years who have, who get compassion fatigue and find Mm. it really hard um, to keep going and Mm. keep, 
keep doing the the difficult job that they have to do all the time. And it takes a, a really significant level of resilience in the staff to be able to do that, good leadership, good good um, structure that lets us celebrate the victories as, as well as the losses because it's not, it's not a garden of, of roses all of the time in our in our business but that's that's the one thing I've worked for a number of not-for-profits over the year over the years but I've never ever seen an organization who puts their money where their mouth is as well as, as GenU does and that's what our staff do resonate with they tell me that when I'm talking with them it's actually that we're able to almost put aside when things are getting tough and go it's all for a good purpose not just for the person sitting in front of me but for where our profits go as well so um, it's it it helps our people it helps you know it helps all of us I think kind of go there's a there's something bigger than all of us in this if we get it right Mm. Well, just on that, there's a lot of changes coming up in the industry. And, um, you know, with that, there's a there's a range of uncertainty of, of what things may look like or may not look like. And I suppose in terms of your leadership, how do you manage that process between what's certain and what is uncertain with your team? I think it's all about influence. And that uncertainty is probably there more than people think, more often than people think. Out in most businesses in the world, there's always a level of uncertainty about what's going to change or what's going to influence change. But it seems that we have a finite number from a contracting perspective. There's always kind of like five years or, you know, two years left on the contract. I think we're we're fortunate in some ways that we've got a legacy, that we've been around for a long time, steadily growing within the business so we don't rush to failure if, if we can avoid it so we do try to be quite considered in our approach to growth or or transition and I think the, the recent DES transition we were really considered in our approach and tried to take people on the journey with us we spoke to our staff a lot about where our challenges might be in this transition how they could help um, guide it and lead it and deliver great services to our customers along the journey. I think it's always about including people in the design and the delivery and and getting people to really align their values with our values and make sure that we're all doing it for the right reasons and, and continuing to drive because I think when people do that, they'll buy into and trust that that we're leading the business in the right way, that we're making decisions that mightn't always be uh, the most palatable decisions, but they're the best decisions we can make from an informed perspective. So don't sit in isolation going, I've had an idea that I'm going to do all of this and, and it's going to negatively impact all these people and I don't care. That never, mm-hmm. That's never how our, our rhetoric is in the background. So we're always trying to communicate with frontline staff about how things will translate as well and involve and co-design. The other thing we, we try to do as often as possible is when we see a gap, we try to fill it. So we try always to be going, what else can we do as an organisation? And because we're not driven to a shareholder response, we're always trying to do the first, our first priority is do the best by our job seekers that we could possibly do every single day. So we always get, we get to have fun and we get to try stuff 
test stuff and and some of it works brilliantly and some of it fails dismally Um, but we do no harm in the process but we're always trying to test new ideas new models new service delivery we try to build connection and community wherever we go and see what else we can do to change more and more people's lives but we just I think our fundamental principle is that we take people on that journey with us, our staff, the Matchworks family. It's really important to take them on that journey with us. Mm, yeah, well, that's that's great. And and look, that's what most of academia would point to in terms of in all of the leadership books out there about sharing the insights and bringing people on the journey. So, you know, well done with that. So what I wanted to ask you is what advice would you give somebody who is looking at within employment services they're looking to take on leadership what would you give them what a couple of couple of things you might give them as advice and if they're not currently in leadership make sure you understand what leadership is because it's it's I think people often people we see accidental leaders there might be a great EC and therefore they get into management jobs because they're a great EC but they may not have ever wanted to be in a leadership role and you can't be an accidental leader and um, and not want to be there for the long haul of it. I think people mm-hmm. get in and go, uh, you know, I love this. I love a team dynamic. I love taking these guys on the journey with me to the next level and other people who get in there going, I just want everyone to be an EC like I was. Like mm. that That's not what leadership is. Leadership is about sacrifice for your teams. It's very, very... Um, huge rewards that come with it when you see the people in your teams make great strides and change people's lives. But it's a it's a hard slog with a lot of sacrifice in it. Mm. I guess the other thing I'd really like to say to people is the heart anytime you move into leadership, you're shifting the balance. So you are the coach of a team who needs everybody to trust each other and work together really, really effectively. Because trust is a single biggest commodity you can have in in a team and your job is to coach people to ensure that that trust remains high so what you have to do to facilitate trust within a team is more important than anything else you will ever do in your job Mm. so um, be ready and prepared to think about how important it is that everybody on that team knows if I pass the ball to them, I trust that they're going to run with it and try and score the same goal at the same end that I'm trying to do. So second you lose that, you'll start to lose that ability for people to really lean on each other. And and no man is an island in this business. Everyone's Mm. got to work together on it. Yep. So what what is one way when you talk about building trust? Because I think that's probably a big piece, even in the industry, when you think about the trust between a customer, a client, uh, you know, working with their consultants, uh, and then that reflection back into the leadership piece and the team piece. What are some things that you can do in order to build trust? Yeah, I mean, it's really tricky. I think I think to to aspects of this so you have one where I give trust implicitly you like you get it when you work in in our organization give it to you freely it's yours to lose Um, so I will 100% trust you in our business if if you've come into it Um, so that's harder for people then to buy back not everybody comes at it from that perspective so uh, facilitating trust is about facilitating honest conversations with teams 
being able to um, really make sure people can be transparent and, um, and and be held to account for their actions as well as the other, uh, as well as to be able to lead, lean on each other for their actions. And I think uh, it's a tricky, it's a tricky space to get to uh, if you have teams that have lost trust or mm. something has gone wrong, rebuilding trust, that second element, that's hard to get back. It takes time, it, ca- it takes commitment and you have to constantly, constantly work on it, test it, make sure it's happening in the way that you really want it to. Um, that that uh, desire to want to not ask the question that you don't want to know the answer to, that you need to park. You need to constantly mm. be going, I need to have conversations I don't want to have with people because once you get to the point that that becomes normal, you have less anxiety about having them and therefore you just have honest, frank conversations all of the time and you have a high degree of trust in your business, a high degree of trust between your team. That constantly um, checking and setting the tone is a, is a key role in leadership. Mm, that's awesome. Thank you, Renee. I want to know... If there the employment consultants out there, or career advisors, anybody in this space of helping people find their way, what would you give them as uh, you know tips, advice around how to be amazing at the work they're doing? I I like to apply the kind of what what would I want done to me if the situation was reversed question and. You want to know that if, if you're a job seeker coming in to talk to an, uh, an employment consultant or if you're an employment consultant coming in to talk to their manager about their, their IDP, um, you've got to treat people like you would want to be treated. It's just your baseline principle. And if you do that and work hard, because the expectation is um, if you're a job seeker wanting a service you want to know you're a consultant is working as hard for you as you're working for you you just want a partnership and agreement that people are all putting in the same level of energy and effort I think if you just genuinely can work hard at being a human and and applying that principle of doing for others as you would want done to you then it tends to take care of itself um, for people and you've got to park your bias sometimes I think there's a a tendency when you've worked with our job seekers uh, for a long time to go, oh, they're all this or all that. It's uh, actually they're all human is the one trait mm-hmm. that they have in, in common and that they all deserve dignity and respect and a chance to live their best life. And if you come at your approach, no matter who you deal with, from that perspective, then everything tends to take care of itself. That um, dignity, uh, you know, I talk to everyone in our business the same way I would talk to our CEO. It doesn't matter who you are, you're still at the end of the day a human Mm. and you still need to be treated as a human being who wants to be as successful as you possibly can. So Mm. be that our job seekers, our staff, um, even people above you, you know, in the management structure, it just doesn't matter. Just be human with people and respectful and and work hard. Mm. I love the, the piece about dignity and understanding that we are all humans and oftentimes, and that's part of the challenge, isn't it? We're faced with all the tasks and admin and all the things I have to do in my day-to-day. But at the end of the day, it is about the people and that piece around really connecting, being human and having that dignity. I think that's a really... It's a powerful distinction of the work that um, we're all doing in this industry. And I think I've lost the ability to be surprised. People do things 
now that that years ago used to surprise me and I'd be like, oh, I can't believe they've done that. Um, and sometimes the truth is stranger than fiction. But um, but actually I don't, no one is going into these situations to be difficult or to make problems. Everybody has a story. Everybody mm. has a journey that they've lived their life and, and a lens that they've lived their life through and everybody is just trying to live their best one and they're not all getting it right. And uh, I once worked with a guy who said every decision a person made makes is the best decision they can make at the time with the information they have. Mm. Is it the best decision in hindsight? Not always, maybe sometimes, but, um, but everybody's just making the best decision with the information they've got. So if you can park mm. your judgment until you hear why people have made the decisions or, or taken the action, it just does take the shock factor out of things mm. a bit more. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's fantastic, Renee. I just love your approach and I, your language is so curious to me because you are speaking from the experience of being through it. So your, your view is lived and it's not that you've never walked in the experience of working one-on-one, helping people find their way. You're, you're really in the journey of understanding and I think that sense of empathy and compassion you have, not only for the consultants but also for your clients is just and customers is beautiful i i've been blessed to have had some amazing leaders take me on um on my journey over the years Mm. and my current ceo my past ceo um, both really set the tone for you know what is acceptable and i remember i remember once walking into a site my uh, and my ceo had been in there and the receptionist said to me oh it's like gandhi was just in the building really <laughs> he really looked at me and he really knew me and cared for me in that moment i said wouldn't it be lovely that people might think that of me one day when i walk in that mm-hmm. that i would genuinely look at them and care for them and they would feel that implicitly and that's mm. and that's what he that's what he does every day of his life and mm. um, and doesn't even think about. When people don't even have to think about caring for people and genuinely um, wanting the best for them, I think that people feel that implicitly and I think that's I don't have to genuinely, I don't have to pretend what it's like to deal with a job seeker who's got a knife in front of you I don't have to imagine what that would be like there's there's not been um, many circumstances in in my career where I haven't faced horrible situations but equally um, it's like an addictive drug when you change someone's life and they come out the end Mm. better off and you get that euphoric feeling of having changed someone's life and it's and it's like a drug it is like a drug Mm. you just, the second you've had it, you want more. You want more lives changed. You want to more to uh, impact more lives all of the time. Mm. Um, and that I see it. I live my life vicariously through the, through the beautiful frontline staff that we have. Mm. And, I'm, and I am forever grateful that they get to do such amazing work and I, and I get to share in that victory with them. Mm, that's awesome. So, Renee, just to wrap it up, in amongst all of this, you are – leading a large organisation, you are travelling, you're engaging, you're um, understanding the compliance framework, all the things you've got to do, all the things you must do. How do you take care of yourself inside all of this? Um, I, I, 
I have a wonderful family that take very good care of me. <laughs> I have a beautiful mm-hmm. husband who looks after our children. He's a stay-at-home dad. He's great. Uh, and he really buffers me a lot when I walk in the door as well. He helps me to kind of shut down from the day and, and park work and then be present with the family and so I can use that time with my children to be present with them and, and enjoy family life. And then I run a lot. Uh, mm. I run and run and run. I ran a marathon last year and, um, yeah, I, I, I love exercise. I love everything uh, that the endorphin release that I get from that. It's just um, it's, it's, it's a beautiful experience to go out for a run with a lot of mist in my head kind of pondering the day and what's mm. been going on and then come home with a clear a clear line of sight on, on next steps. Running, I think, is the most cathartic thing I can do to, in terms of self-care for me. Mm. Um, some of the best part, I remember when we were preparing for the rollout of the DES contract and I was training for the marathon, I used to get a Sharpie and I'd write things on my hand to think about while I was out running because <laughs> I'd be out there for three mm. hours. Um, wow. And I had to use a Sharpie because everything else would rub off with the sweat. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> It's great. You take the problems out on the run, and then when you when you get home, they're done, and you yeah. have a, a, a just a much better approach. approach yeah, what a life. great metaphor. I love it. I, it actually makes me want to go for a run now. So <laughs> I think any anybody else listening, this is probably the best podcast to be doing while you're on a run. So. Oh. You know what, and that's our podcasts got me through my marathon. I listened to podcasts the whole the whole time I was out there running for many many hours. But um, mm. but. I have a motto, you never feel worse for a workout. You never get home mm. from a run or, or from the gym feeling worse than you did when you got there. Exercise mm. has this effect on you and it's good for you in every single way. So mm. get up and move mm. and do it any way you can. That's the thing. People kind of go, I'll be better when it's warmer. I'll be better when the sun shines. After winter's over um, or, or exercise is a punishment for what I've eaten, it's mm. it's never any of those things. Exercise is just always good for your mental health, for your physical health. It, there is nothing bad about exercise, even if it's even if it's something as simple as push-ups. We just we just did the push-up for mental health challenge where we did three thousand one hundred and twenty-eight push-ups over twenty-one days, and just the simple act mm. of dropping and doing 10, 20 push-ups is it's good for you. So mm. however you can get it, do it. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much for this, Renee. It's been so good chatting with you. And I think that uh, a lot of people listening will be able to take so many ideas and concepts, but just in terms of the reminder to be inspired, to remember, you know, why we wake up to do what we do. And I think you've really encapsulated that in today's podcast. And I just really appreciate you being willing to share so openly and um, and just give those amazing insights as well. So was there anything else you want to say to before I wrap it up? Um, I would say to anybody who is a leader, um, somebody uh, once said to me, um, all leaders are readers. Not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. So get out and read leadership books. I think they're really helpful. Listen to leadership podcasts. I think people think that once they get into a leadership role, it's done. It's the opposite. Mm. If, you, if you truly want to be a great leader, 
to read books. There's some great ones out there. Um, and, uh, and I think the more people dedicate to their own self-development and try to own their own um, improvement, it's not always about going on a course or studying an MBA at university. Just read books and, uh, mm. and, and continue to keep developing yourself or, or listen to podcasts. They're a great way to get inspiration and test yourself and just be brutally honest with yourself all of the time mm. because I think we, we look for bias. We, we have that subjective bias. We always look for people to reaffirm our position, but actually you want critical friends who are going to tell you the things that no one else will. So always be, be prepared to be wrong. Fantastic. Well, on that note, I want to thank you, Renee, for uh, speaking to the Wayfinders today. Uh, certainly, um, if anyone's interested in knowing more about Matchworks, we'll be sure to put the link in this so you can check out what they're up to if you haven't heard of them. I know in the industry, most people have heard of Matchworks, but if we've got some listeners that are curious about the industry, Matchworks is certainly out there doing some incredible work. So thanks, everyone, and thanks for listening to today's Wayfinder podcast. Remember, we're helping you help others find their way. Thanks for listening to today's Wayfinder podcast, helping you help others find their way.